This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. This sermon was from August 13, 2023. The passage was Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, through chapter 12, verse 3. So many years ago, about, actually about 3,500 years ago, God spoke to a man named Abraham. He invited him to leave his home, his family, and to travel to a new place, a place that God said he would show him, I guess, when he got there. And God gave Abraham several promises along this way. He said that, that God would give him many, many descendants, so many that he would become a new nation. God promised that he would um, have this land for his own and for his inheritance and for his descendants, and they would inherit it as well. And God promised that the entire world would be blessed through Abraham's family. And Abraham trusted God, and he trusted God enough to follow God. In other words, he, he believed what God said, and he let that belief change his actions. But Abraham actually didn't receive most of the promises during his lifetime. He only had one son, not not thousands and thousands of descendants, and he didn't own any land except for the place that he bought in order to bury his wife when she died, and the world hadn't been blessed through him. Um, He seems to have some regional respect during his lifetime and some regional influence, we'll say, but most of the people in the world had never even heard of Abraham at this point. So, So Abraham trusted God, he believed God, that belief changed his actions, he had faith, but he didn't see God's promises fulfilled, at least least not in their entirety, he got a glimpse of the beginning. Or you could talk about somebody else, talk about Moses, Moses trusted God, and again, he, he, like Abraham, he wasn't perfect, that's not the focus for today, but we can see in Moses' life that he did trust God, he did believe God. And that belief changed his actions. God had called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, to the land that God had promised him, actually the same land that God had promised Abraham. But see, Moses never actually entered that land. So he trusted God, he obeyed God. He never saw the fulfillment of that promise. So neither Abraham nor Moses actually saw that sort of very basic fulfillment that Abraham's descendants would live in this land in peace, the land that God had promised them. Nor did they actually see a greater and deeper promise of a whole world blessed through Abraham. And I think it's probably good to pause at this point and say that, that in Hebrews we see a reminder and an indication that this deeper promise was not really an earthly kingdom or, or another of earth's nations. It was something, something more. It wasn't some sort of fame or power or empire. In Hebrews, we read, all these are from, verses, from chapter 11, verses 10, 16, and 26. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. He was looking forward to something else. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. In verse 16, or in verse 26 is talking about Moses this time, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. They were looking forward to something. 
So this deeper promise, of course, was also never fulfilled in their lifetimes, nor actually the lifetimes of the people that came after them. And there were times, kind of briefly, when the descendants of Abraham lived in this land in relative peace, but they never received the fullness, the depth of what they longed for. And actually, it still hasn't come into its complete fulfillment, but they they had trusted God, they had believed God, and that belief had changed their actions. So why was God waiting? Why is God still taking so long to keep his promises? And I, I think maybe we should think about it this way, or at least this is sort of something to, that has come to my mind, that if God had filled the, fulfilled the whole promise to Abraham during Abraham's lifetime, there would never have been a chance for Moses to live. And Or you could say if God had fulfilled the whole thing, the whole package during Moses' lifetime, then there would never have been a chance for people like Daniel to live. And Daniel, I mean, he was amazing. He had great faith and great obedience. He actually saw visions of the future, but he never got to see the whole thing either. And and that's good, too, because if he had, well, you can kind of get the point. We'll read verses 39 and 40 here. And all of these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So for the first 10 chapters or so of Hebrews, the author seems to be slowly and methodically developing his argument that Jesus is the center of our faith. God had given people sort of glimpses of what he was trying to do and what his plans were, practices, customs, certain individuals who sort of gave us a taste or, a, or an insight as to what God was going to someday do through Jesus. So in that first part of Hebrews, the author is trying to say that all of these people from times past, they were waiting for something, something that God was going to do, and that something was actually someone who's Jesus. And on one level, it's important, I think, for us to, to recognize that Jesus' work is complete, Jesus made possible the reconciliation of God in people, and God did something better, more amazing through Jesus than he had ever done before. And all of us after Jesus experienced the richness of that better and greater thing. I think that's probably important to say, but there's another level on which the work is still not done, and we are all still waiting. Let me see if I can kind of explain what I mean. So, Imagine back at that first Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were all gathered together in that room. You can read about this in Acts chapter 2. And they were still, they were still like, like it's phrased here in chapter 11, they were looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And they weren't there yet. They were in Jerusalem. And and things were kind of neat. Peter preached an amazing sermon. Thousands of people believed. I mean, that's got to be pretty amazing experience. God was doing incredible miracles at this time. Of course, then Peter was thrown in jail and he was severely beaten. He was released from jail sometimes, experienced miracles to get him out of jail, but then he was arrested again. And we know that he was ultimately executed for his faith. So Peter was still waiting. He never saw the fulfillment of what he believed was coming and what he longed for Also true for James and John and all the rest of the apostles that you will read about in Scripture. In fact, true for every single person you will see in Scripture. So, on one hand, as the author of Hebrews says, we have something much, much better than the people in times past, the people before Jesus, Abraham, Moses, Daniel, so on. 
And I, I don't want to repeat the book of Hebrews at all, but, but you could go back and read it. In Jesus, we have a new and higher priest of a new and higher covenant. Our relationship with God is possible through this. It's, it's wonderful. But those people from the times past, even the author of Hebrews himself, they had not yet been made perfect. That fullness of what they were anticipating did not come. And actually, I'm very glad that God has continued to wait, because if God had brought about everything in his plan, the full completion of, if, if that vision in Revelation had, had come to pass and the new Jerusalem had descended and Jesus had conquered all even evil and even destroyed death itself, well, then I would never have had a chance to know Jesus, never had a chance to follow God and receive eternal life. So all people from that beginning of time all the way up to this very moment, every single person who turns to God, we, we have secure hope. We know what is coming. But we're also all still waiting, just like Abraham and Moses were waiting. And if you remember last week's sermon, if you were here or if you had a chance to listen to it, or if you just go back and read the passage, you'll, you'll remember that during our wait, we're going to get to see amazing things and Sometimes we're going to experience times of great pain and suffering, but we're still waiting. And do we trust God to keep waiting? Do we trust him enough to wait through pain and difficulty? Do we trust God enough to do our job while we wait? And I think the waiting is, at least in part, the waiting is because God is waiting so that others will have a chance to choose to follow Jesus and receive life with God forever. So can we be faithful while we serve God, like the people of the past were? Can we trust God like they did? That's kind of the logic of chapter 11. Can we trust that God's timing is best, even if that timing allows us to, to face things that aren't easy? Can we live through difficulty now, trusting that our hope is secure? Can we keep waiting and keep doing our jobs while we wait? I was thinking, I know that there are some of you who have People that you love very deeply who haven't yet turned to Jesus, who are walking a different road right now. I think probably you can understand what I mean when I say it's good that God continues to wait. Sometimes, sometimes we speak, we want God to sort of hurry up, get this over with. I want to be with you. But when we really love people like he does, I think, I think we can begin to want him to wait. I was thinking maybe, maybe our thoughts will shift and we'll begin to learn to, to say to God, you know, life is not always easy right now, Lord, but with your help, I can get through this. So wait, because I know this one person or these few people that I really want to turn to you. And maybe, maybe somebody's face comes to your mind when you think of who, who you really, really want God to wait for. And I, I don't know what you are thinking right now. Um, I don't know. Sometimes within the church, I've gotten the impression that, that we sort of assume that Christians ought to believe and ought to say and ought to want Jesus to come back right away. Right now, as fast as he can, come back. And, and on one level, I think that's true. And on one level, I, I think it's good for us to long to be with Jesus. But if I'm glad that he waited for me, then shouldn't I want him to wait for the other people to give them a chance to turn to Jesus as well? So we're waiting, 
In a sense, we're waiting like Abraham and Moses and Daniel and David and Peter and John and Paul. Our future is secure. We know that. We believe and trust that God will keep his promises, but we haven't experienced the fullness of everything. We wait. But while we wait, we have a job to do, and that's if part A of our passage is that we are waiting, waiting for God to reach new people just like people have been waiting all along. Part B is to say we have a job to do while we wait. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, this is all the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 and beyond, all of these people who trusted God enough to follow him enough to live in their present while waiting for the promised future. Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So our time of waiting is not supposed to be just sitting there staring at the wall, And it's also not supposed to be a time in which we spend it trying to be as comfortable as possible. You see, God has given us a task to do. The author uses the metaphor of a race. So he says, God has given you a race to run. Run it well. Run it with endurance. Run it as strongly as possible. And if you you wonder what that looks like, he goes on and he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion, using that race metaphor again, the 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 fastest of all time, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. So Jesus understands what it means to wait. He understands what it means to face difficulty while we wait. He understands that we have an assignment to do while we wait because he walked that exact same journey. And maybe it's, I think it's fair to say from scripture that he is also waiting even now. Sometimes, I don't know if you thought about it that way, maybe you all have already, but scripture uses the metaphor of a bride and groom waiting for their wedding day to describe that final completion of Jesus and his church and the future. And If you can remember, for those of you who are married, if you can remember back to waiting, that anticipation, that excitement, there's there's a lot of joy there. There's waiting, definitely. I think Jesus is waiting. That's not necessarily the author's main point here. The author's main point is that Jesus had a very difficult time to get through, but he knew it was worth it because of what God was going to do for us. So we too might have some difficult times and times of joy in front of us, but we're sure of the future. And if we truly trust and believe God, we can get through those times. We can deal with them. We can wait. We can know that God is going to work through us for somebody else so that other people can turn to God and other people can trust Jesus. So Jesus walked this road. He understands we can ask him for help. We can look to him as our example And we have a job to do. We have a reason why why we are waiting, something to do while we are waiting. And the author goes on to talk a little bit more about that in in chapter 12. We'll get there in time, but we can also get a fast glimpse of this, as the author describes, by looking at Jesus' life. So he was waiting, but he had a job to do 
And while he was doing this, he taught people what it meant to follow him. He taught people who God is. He cared for people who were hurting. He had work to do. So do we. So let's do our assignment while we wait. And I want to go back to, I want to go back to verse 1. I want to read it in two different translations. At least I want to read part of it that stuck out to me because there's something that, that was on my mind that I want to emphasize this morning. The New Living Translation, Therefore, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The New American Standard is, Therefore, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. So for a long time, whenever I would read this passage, I would kind of buzz over it kind of quickly, and I would, I would essentially read it, that we should get rid of our sins since they weigh us down. And, I mean, that's true, I think, but that's really not the author's point here. It's not the fullness of what he's trying to communicate. The New Living Translation says that we should get rid of the weights that slow us down. And then it goes on to say, especially, sort of one particular weight that can easily trip us up is sin. But see, there are things other than sin that can slow us down, that can weigh us down, that can hinder our race. So I was thinking, again, every spring lately, I've had a chance to watch a number of races when I go to track and field events with my daughters. And I think the relay races are a good good illustration of what what thought, what idea I had rolling through my mind. And I... probably seen a a relay race at a a track and field event, but one runner runs to a designated point, passes off a baton to the next runner who then runs to the next designated point and so on. And it's really sad when the, when the runners have a bad handoff, when, when they, they don't accomplish what they're trying to do there. So I watched one, for example, particularly bad when the athletes just mistimed the handoff and one actually ended up crashing into the other and they both fell down and they were disqualified because they didn't follow the rules. And so in the, in the metaphor of the author of Hebrews, I think this would be like sin that trips us up. This is the big thing that disqualifies you from the race. So, of course, coaches work very hard. Don't do these things. Preachers work real hard and say to people, don't do these things. Don't follow these sinful paths. And yet, you can well imagine a race in which a runner has a really good handoff. Everything is clean. They're following all the rules. And yet, the runner is slowed down by weights that hold them up. So, I, I have a picture of an athlete here. I blurred his face because I don't... But the point, you might know who he is. But... He's one of the teammates from school. He's running. He's in a relay race. I think this is the four by eight, which works because the author of Hebrews also talks about running with endurance. And this is a race that will really exhaust you if you're running it hard. So he is running. He had a good handoff. He's followed the rules. Everything is great. But, But what if he had decided to run this race wearing a large hat? Or what if he had decided to run this race instead wearing snow boots? Or what if this guy was worried that he was going to get hungry since this race takes a while, so he ran it carrying a large lunchbox? You can get this idea. He might still have a clean race, a good handoff, no sin in the metaphor, but his time would be terrible. He would not accomplish what 
he's trying to do. So as I read this verse over and over this week, preparing for this morning, I kept being reminded that it's not just sin that keeps us from doing our assigned task. We can follow all the rules. We can avoid those sins. I mean, we can't, but we can follow an awful lot of them. We can avoid a lot of sin, but there are so many other things that weigh us down to slow us up and keep us from doing the task that God has given us to do. And the author says to get rid of those things. We're here for just a little while, so put them down, leave them behind, and run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We have a purpose, an assignment to do that job and get rid of anything that holds you back from your very best. So in conclusion, the people of old, they never received what they were waiting for. We and Jesus have received so much more than they, but we too are still waiting for the final completion of everything, that heavenly city designed and built by God, the new Jerusalem that will descend from heaven to earth. So it's not always easy to wait, but they waited in part so that someday we could have a chance right now to know and walk with Jesus, to receive and accept the promise of being with God for eternity in that heavenly city designed and built by God. So we too are waiting for that final completion. And a big part of the reason that we're waiting is that there are still more people who will turn to Jesus. And some of us have people that we really love and we keep waiting, hoping, and praying that they will turn to Jesus. We keep hoping that God waits a little longer. And as I was, as I was thinking about this, not so much here, but sometimes here at this congregation, but often in the larger Christian community, I hear people speak sort of negatively of the world out there, all of those bad, those evil people, those people who aren't following God. But all of eternity is waiting so that every one of them would have a chance. And it's time that we stop speaking badly of them and start reaching out. God is waiting for them to turn to him the same way that he waited for us. They're not our enemies. They are people that Jesus died for. They are why heaven is waiting. So while we're waiting, we have a job to do. Just as the people who came before us had a job to do. Just as Jesus, when he was alive, he had a job to do. We have one too. Some things might distract us from getting that job done. Get rid of those things. Some things might actually disqualify us or completely, really terribly hinder us. Definitely get rid of those things. And if we need a role model, somebody to try to show us what it looks like to live through a time of waiting, we can look at Jesus. While he waited, he did his work with perfection. He understood that he went through a very hard time and he did it because he knew that God was going to wait for us. And we might have something, a life that's easy. We might have a life that's hard, but we can wait through it because God is still calling more people to come to him. And if you want to know what you need to do, how you maybe need to change, if you're wondering what it looks like to do your job well, that's the rest of chapter 12, and you can come back next week.
have been listening to the Trestler Mennonite Sermon from August 13, 2023. The passage was Hebrews 11.39 to 12.3. Take care. Thank you.